Welcome back, everyone, to After the Sermon Ends. We know that after the sermon ends, the conversations can begin. Today, I'm joined by Pastor Marcus Donaldson and our good friend Jacob Bowling. Welcome back, guys. Hello. Good morning. How how we doing? We have just passed uh, Christmas Day. How was the holidays for you guys? Most excellent. Most excellent. Jacob? It was good. Very chill. Yeah? You guys do any traveling? I did. I went to North Carolina, see my sister uh, in the last week. I uh, came back and... Yeah, just hung out with my wife at home, um, just having our own little Christmas together. Mm. Nice, nice. Marcus, you? Did I travel anywhere? Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, me and my family, we went up to Asheville, North Carolina a couple weeks back for our big family Christmas. It wasn't like on the actual day of Christmas or anything like that, but it was good to get away. But we're we're heading quickly into the new year, and I'm sure we're going to have uh, tons of new topics and podcasts for you guys in, in 2023. But uh, today we're talking about the the Christmas uh, sermon that Marcus preached on Christmas Day. Um, how often does, does that happen that, you know, Christmas actually falls on a Sunday? Is it like every... Seven years. Every seven years? Okay, gotcha. Well, Marcus, why don't you take us into a quick recap? Yeah, Luke 2, familiar story, the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's the only uh, gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where... We see the the birth of Jesus explained. Uh, Matthew he's pretty concise with it. He covers most of like the the before and after with Mary and Joseph, and then with the wise men who come anywhere from the day that he's born to to when he's two years old. Yeah. But Luke covers I think covers it obviously way better than anybody else. But the before and the after even with some of Jesus's childhood. Anyways, what we preached on Sunday was Luke 2, Jesus's birth. And very familiar passage, verses 1 through 20 there in Luke 2. And we really kind of just hit some high points because it's familiar. And hindsight, looking back, if it would have been a lot easier or maybe uh, a lot more effective and consistent with what we do at City Church to maybe break uh, this passage down into multiple weeks. That way we can go verse by verse, phrase by phrase like we uh, normally do. Anyways, so those those high points uh, really just kind of reminders for the Christmas season. We see a ton of, I think, beauty in these passages, and, and I don't think that we always, that we always keep them in mind when we look at this passage because we're thinking about what we've heard um, years and years before. We're we're looking at the same things, mm-hmm. so it, there was some uh, some pressure to to break out of that tradition and really kind of just hey, what's what's important here? And I think yeah. for the first few verses, uh, all the way to verse seven, right? You you learn about this census, this registration that's going on. Um, and you see right from the beginning that Luke is grounding this story in history with real people in a real place, mm-hmm. in a real point in yeah. time. And at that point in Israel's history, they were living under Roman oppression. And this census, this uh, registration would have been a, a show of force, for lack of better terms. And Mary and Joseph, being from the house and lineage of David, they would have had to travel to their ancestral home of Bethlehem, where David was born and raised, yeah. uh, to take part in this census. So all of this reminds us, one, that the, the story is historical. Um, 
not fable, not myth, not legend, anything like that. But then secondly, that God is in control of every event and circumstance and he's working everything out according to his yeah. plan. And and that's pretty pretty easy to say. I don't think I've ever heard that actually from a Christmas message. I mean, maybe I have, but I just don't remember it. But yeah. what a good reminder that God can work over through and around and behind and before, like through these these self-centered leaders, probably the equivalent for us would be like a president and maybe a senator, but he can work through their self-centeredness. He could work through their sinfulness, their show of force, and he can even work through two families who are arranging a marriage between two people yeah. to make sure all of this happens so that they have to travel to Bethlehem for this registration so that um, the the Messiah, Jesus, could be born in Bethlehem like he uh promised centuries, centuries before. Um, and then secondly, we see that Jesus is born, and then we see uh, that he's born in this in this setting that's anything but uh, picturesque, right? It's the, the stinkiest, the nastiest, the lowest, most humble birth that that was known, right? Nothing common about it, nothing fit for a king, and we're reminded that when Jesus came down, when the Son of God came down, he came all the way down. Um, he didn't, there was no red carpet, there was no parade, there was no fanfare, There, none of that. He came all the way down into the the stinkiest, nastiest, most humble settings or setting that we know. And then that's moving us into, what passage or what verse are we in right now, Jacob? I'm kind of going off the top. Oh, the shepherds. Yeah, the shepherds, 13, yeah, so, 14. No, verse 8. Eight. In the same region. Um, so shepherds, right? These unreliable, despised social outcasts, these shepherds, are, they're out in the field, and they're tending to their flock. Really, you know, they're taking, it's night, so they're doing like a fire guard rotation. I forgot. You would know exactly what I'm talking about, too. Fire watch. Yeah, so <laughs> they, God chooses to reveal the fact that that a Savior has been born, that the promised Messiah, this a Savior who is Christ the Lord, very important phrase there, the only time we see all three of those titles used uh, together. And it's to these lowly shepherds that God chooses to reveal this to. So the, sh- the shepherds go and check it out, and then they see exactly what the angels had told them is true, and then they immediately go and start telling people. Uh, what they had heard from God, what they had seen in in the manger, um, and then they share it with Mary as well. And so we're reminded that uh, you don't have to have a seminary degree, you don't have to have popularity, you don't have to be rich and famous to to be an effective witness for Christ. God uses the the lowest and, and the humble uh, to be effective messengers. So, you know, those, those were... Uh, Three reminders that we see from this text, but then the last and most important is that that one day, 2,000 years ago, the, the Son of God, the eternal sinless Son of God, came down uh, and took on human flesh. And we know that this baby didn't stay a baby, that he grew. Uh, he died on a cross and rose on the third day. And with that, every Christmas we're reminded that we have the free gift of eternal life in none other than Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah. And that's a message that's worth reminding others. It's a message that 
that we can rely on, that we can trust in and have faith in, because if God can do all of this to make sure that the Messiah is born, that to make sure that uh, he'd fulfill all of his promises, then we could certainly trust him with our daily lives here and there. For sure. Jacob, any any big thoughts there? Uh, Well, completely recap the whole thing, so yeah. I think that's the end of the podcast. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, I found in the first section the history part kind of fascinating just because obviously I am a uh, student of history graduating in spring and there's a whole lot of information um, in the first couple of verses that kind of as Marcus said earlier grounded Luke's uh, letter in history and I was just looking at some of that stuff this morning and um, there were actually what I found there were two censuses going on um, one took place at about 6 AD which this one that Luke is writing about that would be too late for this but there was another one I guess that took place earlier because Quirinius served governor two terms. You know, he served in AD six ish, yeah. um, but he also served about a decade before that. And so around this time, what some of the historians think this date took place was between six to four BC, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Um, but all that to say is that just to, again, reiterate what Marcus was saying is all this is grounded in reality. This isn't just a made up story. Luke is giving us actual people, actual names, actual places these are all events that actually happened. And I just, for me, I find that uh, just, it's comforting to know that this isn't just myth or legend or fable or anything. You know, this is reality. This happened. And that's why I like Luke's gospel so much is just because he is, he takes care of, I shouldn't say he takes care of, but he writes in a very historical fashion. Like he's very detailed in his places, his people, his uh, dates, all those things. Yeah. Um, and then to kind of skip down all the way to verse 10, you see what the angel says. He says, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people for unto you born unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And so the angels addressing what the people need. They don't need another leader. They don't need another King. They're living in the time of Caesar, you know, who is the greatest king of the greatest empire of that day, mm-hmm. they don't need another person of power. What they need is someone to save them. What yeah. they need is someone to fix their hearts. And that doesn't go just for them, but that goes for all of humanity. Um, and he says that in uh, verse 14, where the, I guess the multitude of angels, he says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Um, so these angels are calling for peace, for reconciliation, between man and God. And he's addressing the heart of what we need as these broken, sinful individuals. And that is a savior, not another leader, not another king, not someone to uh, take us and um, lead us into some like great country, but we need someone to fix our souls and we need someone to uh, fix our brokenness. Um, And again, all that just to go again to kind of, reiterate what Mark is saying is the first people who hear this are the lowest of people. And yet they are the ones who are the first to go out and spread this message. And I just think that speaks to who God is trying to reach out to, you know, um, he's trying to reach out to everyone. He's not trying to separate by class or Mm -hmm. um, social status or caste or any of that stuff. Um, So he reveals himself uh, to the lowest people. He, Jesus is born, tradition says, in a cave, and then he was laid in a manger, a feeding trough. Um, so he doesn't come into the world 
in this showboat of glory, he comes in humbly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think also just reiterates the character of God and uh, the character of Jesus is that, you know, we're told he made himself nothing he comes into the world uh, humbly. He becomes subservient uh, to the father uh, and obedient to the father um, to you know, show us that example. So I think there's a whole lot of cool stuff in here. Um, and it just, yeah, I wish we had more time to go more in depth into it as we usually do. Um, but even, you know, just those 20 verses, there's a whole lot to unpack and a whole lot that we can gain from that. Yeah, that <laughs> the day before. So we've had a lot of guest preachers come in and preach um, over the last like month, month and a half. In this whole time, I've been preparing a Christmas message and this was probably my third or fourth one because I was like, man, there's no way I'm going to be able to get this in, in 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 an acceptable amount of time. Like (laughs) this is not going to be okay by anyone. And, and it's, I know that people are like, well, it doesn't matter how long it takes, but there's a certain, you can only take in so much, you know, like you can only listen for so long. And so it's like, all right, it's Christmas morning. Let's just, let's get what's important out. Let's um, focus on what really matters. And then we can come back at some point and we can go through this and we can uh, unpack all of the wonderful details that exist in here. But yeah, this, it was like my fourth one. I was having a, a bit of a conundrum on uh, yeah on Friday and Saturday because I was like, I looked back at the, what I'd prepared and I was like, Oh man, this is okay. Now can I take like half of it? No, I can't even take half of it. Can I take like, okay, I'll stick with like a quarter. So that's funny. Yeah. It was, if, if honestly felt a little weird, just like going through 20 verses at a time. Cause we're coming from first Peter where we're, we're covering like three or four verses at a time, maybe two. And oh, you're telling me. And we're, we're going into 20. It's like, whoa, hey, this is just very, very um, high level here. But it's good that we have this this podcast that we can just start that that breakdown process of some of these things. And a lot, I mean, a couple of things that I was picking up from what you guys were saying was um, just the emphasis on him being the Savior. A uh, couple classes back in, in my seminary program, I did a, a, a paper on the, the book of Luke and looking at how Luke portrays Christ uh, in his Christology. And the, the, the overwhelming one that I saw was that he was the Savior and he was the Messiah, that Luke portrays him as that. Like, I think, um, I don't know, um, Matthew or Mark might portray him more as a king or more as a, the... Um, Matthew's Messiah, I believe. Okay. Yeah, either way. Um, that, that theme of savior is just so prevalent here, especially in the first few chapters. And, um, I was, I was even looking ahead at, you know, when Jesus is presented at the temple to Simeon, um, and he, he says, um, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So I think, a lot of people at Christmas time want to focus on those humble attributes about how he came in a manger and how he escaped the um, the destruction of Herod and when they moved to to Egypt. Yeah, how he was born of a virgin, like the, these humble attributes of Christmas, and th- those are powerful. And like you, you highlighted with the shepherds, 
I think those attributes highlight even more the, the power that is at work that God brought Jesus to the earth, but for the purpose of him being that Savior. And he, he is constantly pointing back. It's like he is a Savior. He is a Savior from so many different perspectives. And like just, I mean, we're two chapters into Luke. We haven't even heard much about, you know, what he's going to do yet. Um, it's just a baby at this point. But Jesus is more than a baby in, in this situation. He is portrayed as the Savior of the world. And I, I thought that was um, really powerful to, to catch from, from the early get-go. I think that's one of the things that Luke is trying to highlight, too, um, with the shepherds, is that these guys knew, or at least they, um, well, yeah, they knew and they appreciated, I guess, the fact that Jesus was the Savior, because uh, in the last couple of verses, it talks about them, it talks about, you know, they went, they saw Jesus as a child, and they believed when the angels told them he was the Savior, and they went out, and they um, were spreading the word, and then they came back, and they uh, glorified and praised God for all they had heard. Um, as it says in verse 20, um, there's a quote that I was reading this morning by Calvin. And he's talking about these shepherds and that whole thing. And he says, that their zeal in glorifying and praising God is an implied reproof of our indolence or rather of our ingratitude. If the cradle of Christ had such an effect upon them as to make them rise from the stable in the manger to heaven, how much more powerful ought the death and resurrection of Christ to be in raising us to God. Um, and so these guys, the if I think what Calvin is saying is if, you know, just the birth and knowledge yeah. of Christ as Savior had that impact on them for us, how much more so does his death and resurrection should that have on us? Mm. So, yeah, I think what you're saying in Luke, making sure that people know Christ is Savior, um, I think that's highlighted here throughout the rest of Luke. Uh, and I think it's, I don't think, I know it's one of the most important things, yeah. if not the most important thing we should take from reading the Gospels. Mm-hmm. That's good. Yeah, and I, so one one other thing that, that was really surprising to me that I, honestly I had not known before when you were preaching was was the fact that the shepherds like couldn't bear testimony in court. Um, they, they were considered the, the social outcasts and they weren't clean and they, they could their their testimony would would not be heard in a court of law or be considered valid, and it's amazing to see how these people like like you said became the the first evangelists, the first bearers of the of the good news that the Savior has come, and I was just like trying to you know see from their perspective a little bit of. Yeah, the angels came to them and there was was sharing about the savior of the world who had come and told them what to what to look for and what to expect. But then, you know, they 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 found this baby in a manger and it's probably you know there's probably no music and there's nothing going on. There's nothing special about this scene except there's a baby lying in a manger, exactly like how the angels said, and that was enough for them to to worship and to then respond to it. Yeah, the and I think that we see a few themes repeated, right? The fact that there was no place to, to lay Jesus except for in this borrowed feeding trough. The, we see it, it like throughout his entire ministry. He, he didn't have a place to stay. He didn't have a home. He, like he borrowed everywhere he went, he borrowed the, like the, he created all things and all things were created in him and by him and through him. And like, but he's borrowing in his ministry, yeah. all, like the entire time. And then, secondly, when 
when he's resurrected from the dead, who are the first to see him? Women, exactly. Like, also couldn't bear testimony in court. So it's this, it's to this, we see humility repeated over and over again, and we see the, who society then would have considered completely unreliable being some of the first to, uh, to share the, the good news. Um, and it's, you know, it, it goes to, it points to his humility again, but it also points to the people that God chooses. And now when we say things like, you know, you don't need a, a theological education, you don't need a, you don't need money. You don't need all like all those things are great. We're, I'm just saying that you don't need them in order to, uh, to be used by God. Sometimes people, I think, um, are a little intimidated to engage others because they don't think that they know enough of the Bible. They don't know enough of this or enough of that. But the reality is, you know, it's not necessarily knowing everything. It's just knowing what you've experienced, what you've encountered. That's why they call it witnessing. It's something that you've experienced, something that you've seen and felt and heard and has touched you, changed you. Yeah, and I think if we're we're looking for you know practical takeaways, um, I mean as much as we can from from this type of context, I think it is like the the power of your witness and your testimony that that you have been saved by God and like no one no one can dispute that, you know. And I mean people can dispute it by your character and the fruit that they see, but. If, if you have been truly changed by the gospel and are being sanctified in his presence, then like you, you have that witness, you have that testimony and it, it needs to be shared. And like the shepherds, they, you know, didn't let the fact that they couldn't bear testimony, like stop them from going <laughs> yeah. and sharing about yeah. it. Like they, they were like, they were overjoyed that they found the savior and the Messiah. And they just, they, they responded like the only way they knew couldn't by telling everybody. And something I think that is interesting too, Jake, uh, Jacob shared a little bit of it, but <clears throat> he was talking about the, the world doesn't need another king, another leader in that sense. And that's what, you know, we go all the way back to Genesis 3 where we see Adam and Eve disobey uh, God in the garden. God curses the, the serpent who we know to be Satan. God curses uh, Adam and Eve as far as childbirth and a few different things. But what we see in there is that the, the seed of a woman will crush the head of the serpent. Mm. And it's this seed, right? It, it, it's somebody born, the, the woman's offspring. So the Jews, what they were expecting was this Messiah to come down from heaven and just conquer and, and destroy, you know, and overthrow the Roman government to be this mighty political leader, among other things. But when we see that it had to be, the offspring of a woman, right? Had to be born of, of a woman. And then we see, we read some of Isaiah's prophecies as well. Like the people should have known when they heard what the shepherds were saying, that this was in fact the Messiah, but because they uh, had gotten, gotten off track uh, centuries before that, you know, here this is happening right under their noses. And then you have people who, um, who are telling you what's going on and you don't believe it because it's, it doesn't fit into your box. And, and that's, that's the problem I think um, that we can so easily fall into in our day. Um, and and I, it's difficult. 
um, because we don't want to put God in, in a box, but we believe that God has uh, revealed himself uh, primarily through his word. Uh, so it, it, all, that says, all that to say, just deep, uh, deep study so you don't miss it. One thing I guess that I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, and it kind of goes along with this whole idea of, you know, the shepherds going out and uh, proclaiming the good news. Um, I shared last time on here some stuff from Isaiah, um, and I had read Isaiah 6 as well a while ago, and it's just been something I've been pondering. In Isaiah 6, Isaiah, he sees a vision of God, right? And he gets burning coal pressed to his lips, and, you know, he he recognizes in the presence of God, you know, how sinful he is. But then with that burning coal pressed to his lips, he is forgiven. His sins are wiped clean. The second half of Isaiah 6 is Isaiah's commission. And God tells him uh, to go and kind of preach to these people. And it's kind of a depressing message what he's told to preach. Um, <laughs> he's a prophet. Yeah, it's going to be depressing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's told this commission in Isaiah 8. He says, uh, God asks a rhetorical question, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Um, then Isaiah, he says, here I am, send me. Um, verse nine, God tells him, go and say to this, to the people, all right, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Very depressing message. Basically, go out, tell these people that you're dumb, you don't get it, and you're not going to get it, all right? You're not going to understand. And then Isaiah, naturally, he's like, okay, well, how long should I be doing this? And uh, God replies, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste. So it seems like it's a very hard message to go out and preach to the people. But in all of that, Isaiah is still faithful and does it because at the end of the day, it's God who's going to be glorified. And I bring all that up um, in conjunction with, you know, the shepherds going out and proclaiming Christ and what it, what the message to me seemed to indicate is that God wants our obedience in spreading the message. He doesn't, while he wants people to be won over for Christ, that's going to be on his end, right? right? We are simply told to be obedient. Isaiah was obedient in spreading a message that, you know, I'm sure for him saying it, telling people that, Hey, you guys are not going to exist. You guys are not going to get it. You guys have this condemnation over you yeah. and you are not going to get it. I'm sure, you know, that's not the message he wants to say. I'm sure everyone wants to bring the good news and bring that joy, but he was still obedient to that right. and working through him. Um, God was glorified in the same way, you know, where we are at in life. I think we have to be willing to be obedient just as you know the shepherds were they they were obedient whether they realized it or not in spreading the word um, and I think you know one of the things that Marcus says over and over again and that we push at city church is that you know we are to be obedient and spread the word and we are to be those you know messengers of the gospel out yeah. where we are at and we are be, to be obedient in that and, you know and the results may or may not come but that's not up to us that's right. through the power of the Holy Spirit and God working through that, but we can be used as kind of that spark. Um, and I think that's what God is waiting for us to do is to meet him, to be obedient, to spread that. And so all that to say is, you know, kind of the last thing that stuck with me through this Christmas message was 
the shepherds going out, spreading the news, um, just because they were glad, man, just because there was joy in their hearts. That's awesome. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of convicting too, because how often do I go out? Do I have joy in my heart and am I out there with that joy and because of that spreading the message? Um, and I'm in a great place to do it too at, you know, a, a high school where I see a lot of, you know, brokenness. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just something it's convicting, but it's also encouraging. Yeah. Um, and so that was a big thing that stuck with me and just something that, that Isaiah six I've been kind of pondering over for the past couple of weeks. Well, we have a, a few minutes left here. Um, I did want to highlight one more thing. Um, on Friday, we had our Christmas Eve Eve service, Christmas Adam service. <laughs> I think uh, Taylor likes to say that. But, but yeah, Marcus, any any big highlights from the big Christmas service on Friday night? Yeah, that was <clears throat> that was why I had probably a harder time uh, on Christmas with prepping the message. Uh, or at least coming up Sunday and delivering what I'd prepared, which I'd already talked about. It was pretty lengthy and uh, detailed, which is our, which is what we go for. Uh, not necessarily length, but definitely detail. We want to, we want to cover God's word as, uh, as deep and as thorough as we can anyways. Uh, but because, I mean, I, I don't know what y'all thought, but I, I thought that, that the Christmas story was shared, that the, that the gospel was shared, that, that the the hope that we have uh, because God came yeah. in Christ, uh, I, I thought that it was shared thoroughly uh, Friday. So it it definitely uh, relieved some of that some of that pressure to try to get everything in these twenty verses out yeah. in less than forty minutes. But um, I was super excited. We had a, a full house and. Um, I thought everybody did well from the songs, from the readers to just, oh, and the kids as well. That was, that was good too. So yeah, the kids did their, their Christmas play and they they did a great job. I was really proud of um, all of them, proud of the youth with their, their narration skills. Um, And we did our Advent candle readings and um, yeah, it was a a really powerful, just good night to be with family. Um, A little, little cold, but you know, it's winter. What do you expect? But a, a really good night overall, and um, yeah, just super, super blessed um, the, these past few days just celebrating the birth of Christ. And um, listener, we hope that you were blessed by this conversation and that you've had a blessed holiday season as well. Um, we can't wait to uh, celebrate the, the new year with you. Any Anything special happening this Sunday, or are we just having regular service time on on the first just regular regular old boring service josh just <laughs> don't even don't even get a, out of bed for it you know, just bedside baptist all the way yeah 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 ring in the new year at, at city church in gainesville we hope that you can join us at 10 a.m there but until next time